You know, one of the things that I've noticed about our culture, and the thing where I really noticed this was back around election time, uh, when people on both sides of the aisle were so anxious that, that the anxiety was palpable. You could feel it. Because everybody thought that if the other guy was elected, the world was going to end. And yet I don't think that that has entirely dissipated. Now, our culture has become more and more anxious. And I think that we as North American Christians are, are no exception to that. Even though most of us have far more than we could possibly ever need, we still are becoming more and more anxious. And so I started asking that question myself, well, why, why is that? What's, what's going on that's making us so worried, so anxious as people? And I think one of the things that is part of that is the universal human tendency to take luxuries and see them as mere wants and see our wants as genuine needs. And now that I've said all of you are anxious, I'm generally not an anxious person. And my wife would say that that's because I have this ability to, to step in it, you know, either through something that I've done or some things that happened to me, and I end up in all kinds of trouble, and somehow I come out of that smelling like a rose. She's like, I don't know how you do this, Nathan, but I watch it over and over again, and it drives me nuts, because if that happened to me, it would never turn out that well for me. Do you guys want to hear a story about that? Yeah. All right, all right. So I go out to um, Clear Lake, Iowa. I live there for a summer. I go out to a friend's wedding. And I call another buddy of mine, and I'm like, hey, can you give me a ride to and from the airport? The best flight deal I found was into Rochester, which is like three hours away from Clear Lake. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll pick you up, and I'll take you back. I'm like, all right, what times work well for you? Okay, cool. I'll see you in a few weeks. Fly out to the wedding, he comes, picks me up, and we go to the wedding, everything's cool. But when it comes to send me back home, he says, man, that flight's early. I really agreed to that. There's a bus that'll take you. So he puts me on a bus. I spend my last $32 on the bus ride. So now I'm broke. This was like before cell phones and things, or right as they were coming out. After this trip, I got a cell phone so I could get myself out of these jams in the future. But no money left, and I get to Rochester, and I find out that the Rochester bus station is on one side of town, and the airport's on the other. It's like an eight-mile walk. And I'm like, ah, it's going to be fine. Worst-case scenario, I'm young. I can walk it with my luggage, whatever. It'll take me a few hours, but whatever. Be fine. The person sitting beside me on the bus is freaking out like, dude, you're crazy, man. What are you going to do? We get to the bus station. He's still freaking out. And a girl from Decorah, Iowa, from Luther College there overhears the conversation. She's at the bus station to pick up a student from Kenya. And then she's going to the airport to pick up a student from Ethiopia, neither of whom speak English. And so she comes over to me and says, I've heard about your situation. I'm not supposed to give anybody a ride other than the people that I'm supposed to pick up, but they don't speak English, and I'm not going to tell anybody, so I'll give you a ride. <laughs> Sweet! It's all good. But the story's not over. I get to the airport, and this is not like John Wayne or LAX or Detroit. It closes after the last flight comes in. So I get there at like 9.30 just in time to find out that they're going to kick me out for the night. And now I've got to find somewhere to be for the next 
12 hours before my flight leaves tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Once again, other people are worried about it. I'm cool as a cucumber. Don't know why I was. But cool as a cucumber. Somebody overhears the story and says, you know what? My wife would be a little upset with me if I brought you home and let you sleep on our couch because, sorry, but we don't know you. But there's a truck stop. Kids don't do this. There's a truck stop in between my house and the airport. I have to be back here tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. I'll pick you up and take you back to the airport. So sweet. Go spend the night in a truck stop. Hang out at the truck stop. They get a little diner. I come in. I tell the waitress, hey, here's the deal. I'm broke. I'm just going to be parked over here with my luggage. Don't worry about me. And it'll be cool. So that goes on. And, and uh, I fall asleep and uh, hang out at the truck stop. I wake up like 2 a.m. A wedding just ended. And every other table is full except the one that I'm sleeping on. And this one waitress is hairs coming out because she's freaking out about all these people. And so I get up and I start helping her wait tables in the middle of the night. And then everybody leaves, the place clears out, it's like 3.30 in the morning, and the lady looks at me, she says, that was so amazing of you. How would you like some food? I'm like, I don't have any money. She's like, you helped me, it was awesome. You know what, to this day, I remember what she fed me. How many of us remember what we ate last night? She got me French toast, sausage, eggs, and mint chocolate chip ice cream. Why the mint chocolate chip ice cream, I don't know. But I remember that meal. And this whole time, God is providing for me when I should have been in deep, deep trouble. And it was really a great, fun adventure. The guy picks me up, takes me back to the airport. I sleep in front of the uh, boarding ramp so I don't miss my flight. So the, wait- or the, the, the stewardess, when she comes, kicks me, wakes me up, and I climb on the plane, and away I go back to Detroit. But all that to say, none of us are immune from anxiety. Because as much as I'm not an anxious person, uh, it got me. It got me last Sunday night. And three something biggers than myself got me. Uh, Woke up in the night first worrying about our house with the issues with our house and hoping that it's going to be done on time, chewing on me. And I'm just all torn up about that. And then I fall asleep and I wake up and I'm waking up worried about my daughter. Uh, fall asleep again, and I wake up, and now I'm worried about what's going on with my car and whether I'm going to get it back or not. And all night, thing after thing after thing just chewing on me, anxious, worried. And so our Lord knows that we as people can be like that, and so he, he speaks to us. From Matthew uh, chapter 6, you can follow along on the screen, or if you want to pull out a digital device, you can follow along on uh, your iPhone, laptop, whatever you brought with you, and uh, we'll see what Jesus has to say about worry. Beginning at verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They neither labor nor spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? 
So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So what is Jesus talking about here in these words? Uh, That word for life and body can also be translated as soul. And what it means is the entirety of one's being, all of who one is. Jesus is talking about a father that knows what we need, every last part of us. And he promises to provide it. And here he's not talking about the luxuries or the wants, but he's talking about the very necessities of life. And yet at the same time, he's also saying that that we're not ever going to be not in want. There's going to be times where we're going to be in want, where we're going to need things because we live in in a fallen, broken world. But he's saying that your father is in the midst of what's going on in your life. He's watching over you. And so it's an invitation for us, for for you and me to know that we are royal servants of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, who are active in our world and in our lives and are are working together to to work something for His good and, and for our glory. And now there's two ways to deal with worry, right? Well, at least two. The first way is, is just kind of when things are going on, you just say, stop it. Which, does anybody have some kids? Does that work really well? <laughs> See, I discovered this this other morning. My girls taught me this. Um, Elise had her infusion on Friday night. Saturday morning, I was up bright and early with them. I don't know what time the clock says. I don't want to know what time the clock says. And after infusion, Elise is picky about her food, so I think my, it's my wife's fault. She gave her Cheetos. They were baked ones, so they were somewhat good. It was bread and cheese, so it's kind of good, right? And so she's eating Cheetos. Bree gets up. Bree's eating Cheetos, and one of them runs out. And so I'm going to get them Cheetos, and as I'm walking away to go get the Cheetos, Elise pops up and goes over to her sister's bowl and starts taking them. Now, parents, you all know what happened next. World-ending, face-melting scream. As if there's no more Cheetos left in the world. It's all going to end right now. And I'm like trying to stop it. Don't wake up mommy. She's sleeping. Don't wake up our neighbors. They're sleeping. And I think that's kind of like us sometimes. God wants to say to us, hey, I've got a whole bag of Cheetos here. Don't worry, it's going to be all right. And that's, you know, what I wanted to say to them. But but the thing is, the other thing they taught me is that in the moment, in the moment, it's already too late for us to deal with worry. We need to deal with it ahead of time. Because when we find ourselves in that anxious, worried moment, we don't have the ability to get outside of that. We need a connection to something greater. And so Jesus doesn't take that first approach with his disciples or with us. Instead, he starts painting this picture. 
Just think about this picture for a second, what he's laying out for his disciples and for us. He starts painting this picture of birds working the fields with hoes and sizz and barns and working the fields and storing up grain, and it's this crazy, absurd picture. And then he paints a picture of flowers sitting at looms and making clothes. He's inviting us to imagine that, and he's saying... But that's not what they're doing, and I provide for them. How much more will I provide for you? He's inviting us to see a bigger picture. And then he tells us that as we know that our antidote for worry and anxiety in our life, which that word really means, or the word that's used there, and also used by Paul in Philippians, where he says to us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That word that both, both Matthew and Paul uses means literally to be torn into little pieces. And that's what anxiety does to us, doesn't it? It tears us into pieces. And that's really what he's getting at here. He's not saying don't be concerned, don't give thought and energy to the things of life, to caring for the people that God has placed around you. He's saying, don't be torn apart by these things. Don't see them as something bigger than they are. And his antidote for us as his people is the invitation to seek his kingdom. Seek his kingdom. So what does that mean for us? To seek his kingdom. It means that we as, as his people go to places where he is reigning and receive his gifts. Come to church. Come here and, and hear of the bigger story that God is working out in our lives, that, that God is working out in you. Go to his word where you hear the stories of generations of people who have trusted and relied on God and found that God is faithful. Spend your time with Christian friends that will speak words of, of hope and courage and life to you. Don't go on to the Yahoo forum where you'll hear all kinds of crazy things. Spend time in God's beautiful creation and see his handiwork and be reminded that God is always up to something bigger than we perceive. And then there's that part about righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And that's where my mind really started to wander and wonder and dig in. And what is he talking about here when he says righteousness? And what I think that is, is it's an invitation. It's an invitation to be part of what he is doing, to seek out what Jesus is doing and bringing into our world and to have his kingdom's reign lived out in our lives. To be part of God's bigger story. The question is, what does that look like for us? What kind of things would we do to be part of God's bigger story? A reading from 1 Peter chapter 4 gives us an idea of what that might be. And also, I think, gives us some, some very clear and powerful action steps in our world that is currently like ours. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you pray. I want you to hear that for a second. 
be alert and of sober mind. And I think one of the things that makes us anxious as a society is that we have this tendency to numb ourselves. I'm not just talking about, about alcohol or drugs, but the fact that we numb ourselves with, with cell phones and TV shows, and we unplug from what's going on in the world around us, and we numb our minds. We're not alert and sober-minded, and we miss the things that God is doing right before our very eyes. And he invites us to be part of what he's doing by giving us the invitation to pray. Then he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. One of the things that leads to anxiety in our lives is the little infractions that people do against us. And they become an irritant that gets underneath our skin. And the solution to that is to love. Then he says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And the idea there is that we are to love all people that God would send our way, not just the people that look like us, act like us, and smell like us, but love people of different colors and different races and different nationalities and different socioeconomic statuses because they are all people created in the image of God. And when we do that, we see God's kingdom coming in our midst. And then he says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its very forms. And what God is challenging us with there is the idea that that we've all been given gifts to be used in God's kingdom. I think we have this tendency to say, oh, it's not me, it's, it's pastor, it's these lay leaders that are great leaders. What do I have to offer? And here, St. Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is telling each and every one of us, you have a gift. You have a gift that your neighbor needs. And it digs a little bit deeper into those gifts in verses 11 and 12. If anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. I had to go dig into that, and I was like, all right, is it just talking about pastors there? Is it just talking about people sharing words of Scripture or prayer? No. It's talking about each and every one of us as Christians being careful about the words that we use. We live in a culture where words are so easily thrown away. Twitter, need I say any more? And he's inviting us to use our words and inviting us to see our words as being something powerful, something that can be used by God for the good of other people in our lives, to bless them and encourage them and strengthen them to remove anxiety and worry from their lives and once again re-anchor them to the faith and the hope and the trust that they have in God. And then if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Serve with the power of God. The question is, how, how do we do that? Bree asked me the other day, uh, how do I hear God because I don't hear him with my ears? 
And so how can we serve God and how can we serve in his power and how can we know his voice to, to, to speak with his power in our lives if we can't hear him? Well, we go to the place where we know that he can be found. Uh, we come to worship where we can be encouraged and strengthened. Uh, we come to his word where God speaks his timeless truths of life and salvation. And through time together with other Christians and time in his word, we begin to hear what God is saying so that we can speak, so that we can serve. As we sung a moment ago, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God feeds us what we need. Now, just like Bree was confused, just like you and I can be confused in this world, how we can become focused on the surface things, the immediate things, and miss the something bigger that God is doing. The disciples did just that. Because when things got the darkest for them, when things got the scariest for them, they ran away. They numbed themselves. They hid themselves away from what God was doing. And guess what happened? They missed the greatest act of God in human history. They missed seeing it because they became anxious and worried and ran away and they missed it. And so my challenge to you and to me is that in those anxious moments, in those scary moments, in those moments when you're consumed with worry, don't close your eyes. Don't go numb. Because you just might miss the greatest thing that God is doing in your life. Because if you look at Scripture, that's what happens. God walks with people into the darkest, scariest moments. And they walk out by the power of God, transformed by His grace. They become people that you and I look at and say, I want to be like that. Maybe you know someone like that. Someone who's been through it and come out the other side and you look at and you say, I would follow that person. Moms and dads, that's what God wants for you. For your children to look up to you and say, that's someone that I one day want to be like by the grace of God. See, God is doing something bigger in our lives. Not just sometimes, but all the time. And if we close our eyes, if we go numb to what's going on, we just might miss it. You know, we pray each and every week. The prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. A prayer that reminds us that we are children of the Father. A prayer where we ask that God would help us to seek his kingdom and be part of what he's doing in our lives.